0: at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Good morning, everybody. Welcome this morning. I'm not actually going to be the teacher this morning. We are going to welcome James Widgeon to share the Word with us. We're glad that he's ready to do that. Let me, though, before he comes, ask if there are any prayer requests this morning. Or updates on prior ones that we can remember. I can pray for Brother Steve, your brother, or is that not it? They didn't find anything too ugly inside of them as far as cancer. Hey, super, that's excellent. Uh, we had prayed too for a fellow that's unknown to all of all of us, named Mark, Pastor Mark Zimmerman. He had a similar thing where he had to have surgery for cancer, and it was found to be kind of self-contained, even though it was fairly invasive, or how did I say invasive, intrusive because it was so large, I guess. And uh, so he's in a similar situation now. Uh, the very good mercy that uh, he will be hopefully be able to continue on for some time. So, Brother Thurman, good to see you this morning. Brother. All right, Sister Betty. Did you say you're going to be quiet? Very quiet. Okay. In a loud way. We'll hold you to it. (laughs) Let's pray this morning. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to come and study the Word, and for the precious fellowship that we share as brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ help our brother James as he teaches today and help us to focus on the word and also to be actively engaged in thinking about what the personal application is of this word to us in our present day. Lord, for those um, who have requests that have been mentioned, i I mentioned Steve. I pray for him as he rests at home, help him with his back and the uh, problems that he's been having with that. And We thank you for the report about Dan's brother and uh, for us other fellow Mark uh, Zimmerman who are in similar circumstances right now healing from surgery and um, waiting for good reports uh, each time they go get a scan and we commend them into your care as well. We thank you our brother Thurman is able to be here today uh, as well and Lord for others that are walking in we are delighted Lord to uh, see them today. We commend ourselves into your care. Watch over us, we pray, and may the work of, the, of your Spirit today be active in our midst. We ask it in the name of our Savior, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right, brother, thank you.
1: <laughs> Good morning. We're going to be looking again in the book of Haggai, uh, which, have, which is where we have been for a number of sessions uh, here. But I'm not going to first turn there. I'm going to turn to a different book to, to start uh, what we're going to say today. One of the things that we understand as we study the scripture is that no matter where we are reading, and in this case we've been studying in Haggai, which is one of the minor prophets. But what is given in the minor prophet Haggai is not information that stands alone or stands in isolation or in disconnection with the rest of Scripture. The Scripture, and we have six or six books but ultimate, the ultimate author of all of it is God himself. And because of that, we can understand that when we see various, for example, this time I'm going to look at a New Testament to use of a portion of Haggai. That's one of the things that we see in scripture. Sometimes the New Testament will make reference to something that we saw before. And, and that's all very good and very helpful and interesting. Now, there are different ways that people understand what's going on when they look at those occurrences. And I'm not getting into the details about that part of it today so much. But as I was thinking of what I was looking at here, now in Haggai, we see and we made note that the prophet, he initially focused and he came right quickly to his focus about this matter of the temple and how the people had neglected to continue rebuilding the temple. They had worked at it about a couple of years but then it had been just unattended to for 16 years. And so then this prophet Haggai comes along and he talks about that. And he tells them what, basically he says, you know, you're out of order. And God is calling you up short. And he's saying to you, get to work and do what I told you to do. And because you haven't done it, there are certain things that have been negative for you. You've had some negative consequences because you haven't continued with the project that I put you on. You decided you had something else to do that was more important for that particular project. Period of time, and the thing that they decided was more important for that period of time was the building of their own houses. <laughs> Isn't that something that's ironic, right? But that's what it says in scripture there. So the Lord says, "My house is in ruins," and then in verse nine he says, and all of you are running to your own houses," and talked about their panel houses, given the idea that they didn't just have adequate structures but some of them were living in pretty good circumstances as far as the houses they built for themselves and as I have said before it was a good thing and a reasonable thing for them to build for themselves the problem, that was not the problem the problem was the priority that they assigned to these things and that's where the problem came in so now to take away the suspense, you probably are wondering, well, what book is he going to turn to? If you weren't wondering that, I will tell you what it is. and You don't have to begin to wonder. In chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews, and I'm going to pick out a few verses here and then turn back to uh, the book of Haggai. I marked out some of these. And, you know, it would be great to read everything, but we can't do that. So we pick some and try to hope, and we hope that we're going to get the point across that we're looking at. If you look at verse number 3, well, no, I'm, I can't start there. Let me start at verse 1 and, and, and read through there uh, with verse 3. Therefore, we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom he loves, he chastens. And scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. If you heard me speaking before, you may have heard me or remembered me saying that the audience that Haggai has Are people who, the remnant people who have come back from a captivity. But they were down in captivity and they went down there for a reason. And I think you might recall that I refer to that as the chastening of the Lord. He loved them. And I said it was an expression of his love for them that he sent them into captivity. That is I think a concept which is worthy of us to give careful consideration to. Particularly in light of the way the world thinks. I think you understand what I mean by that. So that God is at work and what's happening he has a program. He has a plan. There is something that God is going to accomplish and he's told us of future things that will be accomplished and there's nothing going to cause it to not be. It will be. The issue is what kind of alignment will people have with the direction that God is in? And so we don't need to be worried about as some politicians like to say being on the right side of history we need to be concerned about being on the right side of God and what he has to say that's what we need to be concerned about now I'm going to read again another section here from uh, Hebrews 12 starting in verse 25 in Hebrews chapter 12 See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape. If we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth but also heaven now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of the things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken may remain therefore since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken let us have grace by which we may serve god acceptably with reverence and holy fear now you may recognize that a part of what i read was a quote from haggai the book we're studying and so, with that opening for today's uh, look into the book, I'm going to now turn back to the book of Haggai. And we talked at first, in our first message, we talked about God neglected and a temple project neglected. And then we talked about why Bill the temple and then in the next one we said well they obey God and they resumed building the temple and then last week I used that heading the former and future glory of the temple and now we are looking again and going to review some of those points that were made there So we noted, and I've already said it, that in verses 2 and in verse 9, the issue of the misplaced priorities that the people had, the building of the Lord's house and the building of their house. And we said that they suffered certain consequences, and we saw those in verse 6 in chapter 1 and verses 10 and 11 in chapter 1. So what were some of those consequences that they suffered? Well, it told us in the text as we read it that they didn't have the basics. They didn't have sufficient uh, quantity of the basics of life. They were lacking in food and in drink and in clothing and wages. They talked about getting wages and putting them into a bag with holes as if, you know, you say, "Wow, it, it's, it seems like what's happening right now with our economy going... And with the, uh, all this inflation and everything, you earn something, but by the time you get ready to spend it, the inflation has just shot up, so it's not worth what you thought it was. But that's the kind of conditions that they had. And for them, it was specifically tied to their disobedience. Now, we do understand that God has not promised us in the same way in terms of the material blessing that will come from obedience to the specific things that he has said to do. But the principle is good, though, that we can understand that as in much as we are in alignment with what God wants us to do, then we can have a measure of peace no matter what happens to us. Amen. Now, that peace that surpasses us understanding is something that a believer can have that people around us who are not believers won't be able to understand. But the Lord is able to help us and enable us so that we can have that no matter how things are looking to us. So there were two uses of the expression consider your ways. And we talked about that in kind of enveloping that area where there was an issue about that priorities But consider your ways, and that's what we say to ourselves all the time. Consider your ways. What about God? (laughs) See? What about him? What about his priorities? What about his concerns? I think there are a lot of people who are walking about who, who don't really give much pause to consider. What about God? All the while that they enjoy his provisions for them. Everybody who lives is living because God is providing for them. Everybody. There's not a soul in the earth who's not living by the provision of God. We have a beautiful sunshine today. And that sunshine is there and all can enjoy it no matter even if they curse God even if they claim he doesn't exist he's blessing them with his son to warm them to provide for them he's providing for them ground that can produce crops from which they can have food to eat all the while they despise him And put idols in their place of worship and worship them. And say, I want nothing to do with. And they look at us and say, Your God, we don't, we don't want anything to do with him. We have our own gods and we'll worship them. That's what the idolatrous people do. But uh, it's never going to be the right thing. It's never going to achieve the right result. So now in verse number 12 of Haggai 1, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, it said, Obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. And the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord God has sent him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. Now, this now is a marvelous, a marvelous thing here. That they came to the place of obedience. That's the important thing. No matter where a person is currently, to get, if they're out of obedience, get into obedience, if they're out of the path that God wants to get on to the path, that sort of thing. And so these people then, they heard the word of the Lord that was provided to them. They listened to the prophet who came. Not like one of those other books when we were studying and the people said, go away, don't ever bring this message, we don't want to hear any more from you. Go away and keep it to yourself. These people didn't respond that way. They listened, they heard, they considered their ways, and then they obeyed. I mentioned before, and I will say this again, that when you look at that and you see that the people did make a change, and we can be thankful for that, but they didn't do it in independence of God. I'm saying that even having made that choice now to obey whatever boasting that they can do is properly to boast in God because he himself was involved in that so this is one of the things that I find to be that we mull over often because we talk about the will that we have and the choices that we can make, and we know that we can make certain choices; otherwise, there would not be a way for there to be accountability for us. And so, what we choose makes a difference. But that doesn't mean that God has no involvement. You know, it says whom He, whom He, whom He wills, whom He calls. God is a sovereign God. I'm saying all that to to get us now to this next section here. In verse 13, Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message in the presence of the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. I am with you. And I spoke about that as being an encouragement, that inasmuch as he says, I am with you, that's an encouragement, because if they understand that the Lord is with them, then they can carry on. And they can manage to to do what they should be doing uh, without the fear that otherwise might set in. I'm with you. But what I was going to lean what I was leaning to here in the comments I made just before this is from verse 14. It says the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. They came and worked on the house of the Lord, their God. God served up those hearts. Now, just reading that, We see God's involvement because what would have happened had he not stirred their hearts? See, they would still be where they were. But they before had set wrong priorities, but now they are changing their priorities. And so they have done something too, which is credible in God's eyesight. Just like with David, who had a desire to build a temple in his heart. And God said, I see your heart, and I know it. And it's good. (laughs) But it's just not in my program for you to be the one to build it. Your son will do that. So he told them that they needed to be strong and to get the work done. But I said, it's not just in the hearts of those people that God worked to bring this program back on track. And I'm going, to, I'm going to read through the next several verses here in this next chapter. And then I'm going to turn to the book of Ezra and look again at some of the material that, and details they tell us about in that chapter. But first let me read this portion. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now in comparison with it? Is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel. Says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land. Says the Lord, and work, and work. (laughs) I pointed that out like that. He worked in their hearts. He told them to be strong. He told them to work. And then he says, I am with you, says the Lord. According to the word that I covenated with you, when you came up out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you, do not fear. So one of the ways to be encouraged is to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. He's telling them as a people that I was faithful to you in that event in your history. Now you think and reflect on that and consider, what am I going to do now? Am I going to not now be faithful to you? But we can do that sort of thing in our lives as well to understand that God has done things for us. He's helped us in spots that were tough, that we recognize that God really actually blessed us in ways that we didn't expect even. And we can remind ourselves of those scenes to be encouraged to press on. In verse 6, still in Haggai chapter 2, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, in a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Now we've said and we understand, if you look at what is here, the prophet is talking about something that hasn't yet come to pass. But it will. He's talking about a future glory, a future temple. But I don't want to spend time there just now. I want now to turn to the book of Ezra and consider some of the points that I have selected out of that section. It's really fascinating reading because it gives us an opportunity to see some aspects. I have alluded to some of these things. I've spoken briefly about some of these. Let's see, get to Ezra here. There's Nehemiah, so I'm right at it. And I'm going to try to select out enough of these verses to get the point out without uh, laboring to read everything that's here. I'm going to start with Ezra chapter 3 and read a section here. In verse number 12. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the Father's houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the voice of the shout of joy from the noise of weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard uh, afar off. So there were people who remembered the former temple. And we talked about the, the magnificence and the glory and the things associated with the prior temple that were not present with this one that they were building. It was going to be a lesser thing. But being lesser is not really the issue. The issue is is God there with his people. Is that his place to meet with his people? Okay, so I'm going to leave that and skip now to chapter 5 in Ezra. And I have some verses there that I want us to pay attention to. I think I began to, by reading the first three verses. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of prophets prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God, the God of Israel, who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the, and Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Now, the next verse there begins to talk about what I said before, that, that there was a challenge to the building project. And that had to be sorted out. And we see it here listed in Ezra. In verse 3, at that time, Tadonai the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shathar, Bosne, and their companions came to them and spoke to, thus to them, Who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall? He said, What do you think you're doing? <laughs> right? Then, accordingly, we told them the names of the men who were constructing this building. But the eye of their God, was upon the elders of the Jews so that they could not make them cease till a report could come to Darius then a written answer was returned concerning this matter and so with this challenge it's uh, they. It's like they had to go and dig out the records and find out so now is this a legitimate thing that these people are doing and if it is or if it is not, we will know after we dig through the records and find the appropriate records. Now I'm going to have to be selective here. The, the response is really interesting, very, very interesting because when I said that God is, was at work and how he stirred up the hearts and the minds of these three groups that Haggai identified, that the governmental leader and the religious leader and the people themselves. But before that, God also worked in the hearts and the minds of these other ones who permitted this thing to happen, but didn't just permit it. But shall we say, we're actually, beyond the call of duty as it would seem for a pagan nation to do in regard to this. But they have some understanding. And see, this was God's work in his orchestration of what was going on. So the letter began in verse, it said, the report they sent to him was written as follows, and I'm going to read just a little piece of that. It said, to Darius, all greetings. Let it be known to the king that we have gone to the province of Judah, to the temple of the great God. It is being built with large stones and timbers are being placed in the walls. This work is done with all diligence and prospering in their hands. We inquire of those elders, asking them, Who gave you authority to rebuild this temple and to complete the structure? We also inquired of their names in order to inform you so that you might write the names of the men who were their leaders. They responded to us in the following way. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. We are rebuilding the temple, which was previously built many years ago. A great king of Israel built it and completed it. And so they were just forthright and said what they were doing what they were up to. I'm going to skip down to verse number 16. Sheshbazar, then this Sheshbazar went and laid the foundation of the temple of God in Jerusalem. From that time to the present moment, it has been in process of being rebuilt, although it is not yet finished. In verse 17, now if the king is so inclined, let a search be conducted of the royal archives there in Babylon in order to determine whether... King Cyrus did issue, in fact, issue orders for this temple to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. Then let the king send us a decision concerning this matter. And so that was all good. So Darius issued the uh, orders in chapter 6. And they searched the archives. And they found the scroll and the memorandum. And it talks about what the date was there. Verse 6 now, Taranay, governor of China's Euphrates and the others, uh, all who stay far, uh, <clears throat> all of you, it says, stay far away from there. So now they've gotten their answers to be t- to told, you don't bother them. In verse 7, is that verse 7? Leave this work on the temple of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this temple of God in its proper place. Isn't that something? I also hereby issue orders as to what you ought to do with those elders of the Jews in order to rebuild this temple of God. For the royal, from the royal treasury, from the taxes of Transjordan, the complete costs are to be given to these men so that there is no interruption of the work. Whatever is needed, supply it, verse 9. Verse 10, so that they may be offering incense to the God of heaven. And now note this, and may be praying for the good fortune of the king and his family. Now you remember when we talked about God telling the people there in exile, how they were supposed to live, what they were supposed to do, how they were supposed to carry on. The normal activities of life. But included in that was that they were supposed to pray for that nation. Now this king is saying, we want those people to pray for us. Interesting. In verse 11, I hereby give orders that if anyone changes this direction, a being is to be pulled out of his house, and he is to be raised up and impaled on it. And his house is to be reduced to rubbish a rubbish heap for this indiscretion. See, what is going on is that God's program was for the temple to be rebuilt and for these people to do it. And so he's orchestrated that. So they can try to resist and say, no, it's not going to happen. But it's not, it's going to be, it's going to be tragic for them. Because God has already declared, this is my program and this is what's to be done and he's using these people to accomplish his purposes. Verse 12, may God who makes his name reside there overthrow any king or nation who reaches out to cause such change as to destroy the temple of the God in Jerusalem. And in verse number 13, this governor and his colleagues with precision they, just as Darius the king had given instructions, that's what they did. And so they built, in verse 14, and brought it to completion by the command of the God of Israel and by the command of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. So we have three Persian kings got involved before the temple got built. But it got built. It did get finished. I think it possibly, I don't know, within five years or so after they started from what we read in, Haggai there. They, they, they finished a project. Quite a thing. And so God is involved there. And he orchestrated that it was time for the temple to be rebuilt. And to he the hearts and the minds, not just of his own people, but of the pagan people as well, so that his accomplished purposes will be accomplished. He is a sovereign God. All nations and all people are responsible to this God and will be held accountable to him. The sad thing is that a lot of people are going through the life and they give no acknowledgement to this God at all. In fact, they get upset if you talk about him. But this God is the one who, as I was reading earlier on in Hebrews, It's through this God that we even not just have what we need to be able to live physical lives but spiritual life, new life, eternal life to be one who is as John said one of the little born ones born from above. So we haven't gotten very far along uh, in the text here in Hagga. <laughs> but I hope this is helpful. I mean, it's very much so for me to go back and think on some of these things again. But part of what is working with me is the notion, as I mentioned, to not just read a portion as, it's just, as if it's just a standalone something. But it's a part of a big program, God's program. He shall reign forever. <laughs> I said, I'm looking at the pastor to get a smile because that thick book he gave me talks about that subject. And my, I'm telling you, it is wonderful reading. So I put a plug in for the book as well. I'm only about halfway in, halfway through it, but I can't... It's like I can hardly wait to get through so I can start going back again (laughs) because there is so much there for us to consider. But Haggai and the things that we see and we talk about in the future aspect of things, it fits right into this whole idea. And it has this place in this whole kingdom of God uh, idea or understanding. I think that would be a better way to say it. Kingdom of God understanding that the pastor is helping us to to get a better understanding of in terms of God's overarching program that he has. Prayer now. Our Father, we have come, we have spent the time, and now we ask for your work in us to stir us for your own glory. We pray in the name of Christ our Savior with thanksgiving. Amen.